Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSat certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. So I've got Amy on the line. Amy, welcome to the show. What's your question? Well, I have a question about what um, healthy sexuality looks like when Mm. a sex addict is in recovery. One of the things we know about research and sex addicts is that they don't necessarily want sex with their own wife. And so, to me, that says he's in really good recovery because he does want that with you. He has been two years sober. He has been in three facilities. And I suspect that's how he's wanting closeness with you. That's right. I would have to agree with that 100%. You know, that's part of the partner betrayal is when your husband no longer desires you or um, is not able to perform because he has rewired his brain to want certain activities and certain types of people to be sexually stimulated. Now, that's not in all cases. I mean, I've talked to partners who have said, my goodness, we had a very active sex life. This is such a surprise to me because there was nothing wrong with our sex. We were having sex daily, or we were having sex twice a week, or we worked at really mixing it up. Well, you and I both know that sex does not have one prototype. When you've got sexual addiction, um, it can affect you and your coupleship and your family in all sorts of different ways. That's why books are so helpful, because... They give you a bird's eye view of the many ways that sexual addiction manifests itself. And that's why support groups can be helpful. At Absets, we don't say you have to be part of a a support group, but if you need extra support, if you need to, to use your voice, if you need confirmation that you're not alone, oftentimes groups like SNON or COSA can really help to give you that confirmation. What are your needs? You know, that's such an important question to ask you as a betrayed partner. What do you need in your life? And you've heard me say it before. Most often times, you have to look at the six different criteria. You have to look at what do you need intellectually. You know, from a lot of partners, it is to read up on this condition so that you're no longer blindsided by things you didn't know. Intellectually, you may need to attend a group so that you understand from other people some wiser, some more experienced, what may be around the bend for you in terms of your relationship with the sex addict. What do you need emotionally? 
you know, one of the things that I'm really doing is I'm working with people to help them to establish what are their primary feelings, you know, what is it and how is it that they feel. And that's oftentimes why we say, hey, journal. We want you to become aware of what you need in your life emotionally. And, and partners will say, my gosh, I can't even begin to know what I need. And here's the good news. The good news is that you start out identifying how you feel every day. You start out by deciding emotionally, what are your feelings? Do you feel anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, or happiness? And then after you've done that, once you've done that, and you've done it with some regularity, it will help you to navigate what you need further. I mean, truly, if you think about life, more than likely, you were you were really at a loss for knowing how you felt and being able to stick with that feeling once you discovered sexual addiction. And I didn't say that very clearly, but what I really meant is that it's super important for you not to question yourself now regarding your feelings because you thought you knew how you felt before. See, I know your whole life has been turned upside down, and there's a part of you that doesn't even know what to believe about your world about yourself, about the addict, and about life. So you don't trust yourself. And you certainly don't trust your feelings. And so I'm going to ask you to really make it simple. Keep to those five primary feelings. Because what happens is when you keep it simple, you're more likely to be able to identify how those feelings are affecting you. You know, and that's super important. You want to know, do I feel angry? And if I do, how is that affecting me? Does that mean that I don't want to see him tonight? Does that mean I don't want to sleep in the same bedroom? Does that mean that I need to write him an anger letter? No, anger is a healthy emotion because, believe it or not, it helps helps you to decide on boundaries. You and I both know that boundaries are really important in keeping you safe. If you feel sad... It may be that you need to figure out how to get the emotions out. Who's safe that you can talk to? 
maybe again, that has to do with writing out your sad feelings every day and really acknowledging and honoring them. And then guess what? After you've done that, what I really want you to do is to ask yourself, is your sadness the only feeling you can have? Because as you get through the discovery and the betrayal of sexual addiction, you'll find that those feelings, you can have sadness and also decide that you are going to choose to have other feelings in conjunction with that sadness. That may mean that you volunteer at your child's school because you want to see little ones and you want to be invigorated by them. You want to smile with them. You need a little more happiness to combat the sadness. I'm not telling you not to be sad because I get that your feelings are your your feelings and they're neither right nor wrong. But I am asking you, just as if you were in my therapy session with me today, how might you feel a secondary feeling to help balance um, the devastation of the primary feeling? If you're feeling lonely, that's one of the primary feelings. If you're feeling lonely, what might you do to make yourself feel less alone, less isolated? Because that's a horrible feeling. You know, when you found out that you were betrayed, you automatically feel rejected and alone. That's part of that brain chemistry. And so what we really want to do is we really want to help you to feel other feelings, to feel um, a part of something. And I know you can do it, but that requires that you find the energy to figure out how you can make that happen for yourself. Maybe you just don't think you can join a group, you know, for betrayed partners because that feels like something you don't want in your life. Like, I don't want my identity to be a betrayed partner. Well, that's fair. But then how about joining a Bible study or an art league or an exercise class, something that gets you out with people because you need to be around some people so that you don't uh, make your world so small that it engulfs you in sadness and pain. So that's what I really believe to be true. You know, I'm so glad you're listening to our show today. We're sponsored by Absats, the partner-sensitive training program for coaches and clinicians. If you are looking for a partner-sensitive coach or clinician, go to absats.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S. and look for somebody in your area. Now, today, I've got Dr. Crystal Holland back on. She is an ASAT 
certified sex therapist, a CSAT, and an APSAT clinical partner specialist. She's going to be talking about micro-cheating. And I have to confess, I had heard this terminology, but I wasn't exactly sure I knew what it meant. So I want you to know, micro-cheating is is those so-called little things that may feel like infidelity to one spouse, but does not involve having sex with another person. So you know when your gut goes off and you're saying, something doesn't feel right here. Well, the general concept of cheating can be gray instead of black and white for couples, and Dr. Crystal is going to be talking about that. She actually wrote a paper on it, on her website, and that website is www.crystalhollenbeck.com. That's H-O-L-L-E-M-B-E-C-K. And I think she wants you to know what micro-cheating is so that you will feel validated if you begin to see some signs that something isn't right. You know, when your husband seems to be just a little bit too friendly or courteous. I had a woman who came in and she said, you know, I should have known something was going on because 20 years ago, he always wanted to hug the waitresses. And he wasn't acting out sexually, not according to the disclosure we had. But boy, he was, he was ramping up. He was grooming. And when those kinds of things happen, you may end up doubting yourself. You may say to yourself, am I just overly sensitive? Am I being overly jealous? You know, is it me? Well, that's why we wanted to talk about micro-cheating today, because you need to know what is okay in your relationship. And certainly after discovery... You may have a variety of behaviors that you no longer want to see in the relationship. And that is absolutely okay because that will help to keep you safe. But for some of you who haven't experienced sexual addiction, micro-cheating may be going on, and you may wonder, do I have the right to say something? Do I have a right to impose my feelings onto him? So Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck is going to be talking about that because this is an area that she feels very strongly about, about her. Her mission is that she specializes in helping couples heal from relational betrayal. And so is micro-cheating a betrayal? Well, Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, welcome to the show. Would you <clears throat> say micro-cheating is part of a partner betrayal? Hi, Dr. Carol. It's so good to talk with you today. Yes, um, it is a betrayal. However, it's not quite like you said a minute ago. It's not exactly black and white. You know, when couples talk about cheating or we hear talk of cheating, it's usually pretty clear in our minds that um, someone has had a sexual relationship outside their marriage. And that's usually what we can identify as infidelity or cheating. But there's a lot of things that a partner um, or spouse will do within a relationship that feels to the other partner like it's cheating, like they're betrayed. 
um, oftentimes the person that's engaging in it doesn't realize that they're um, cheating. Um, but it's very real. It can cause a lot of problems within the relationship. And like you referred to just a minute ago, it could also be a sign of sex addiction behaviors or if you're in a relationship with a sex addict, they may also be engaging in micro-cheating as well as the acting out behaviors. And then in some relationships, um, it's not, there's no sex addiction or sexual acting out whatsoever. It's just simply a lack of boundaries uh, for what each person identifies would be faithful behavior or unfaithful behavior. Yes, and in healthy relationships, if, if my husband is staring at somebody too long and I say, hey, honey, that feels disrespectful to me because you've been watching that woman now for about 20 seconds, I would expect them to say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that, and then refocus on me and really, really attend to what we're doing in the relationship. And that's a healthy relationship because sometimes we mess up or we um, get consumed with something, but refocusing and making our partner very important is a very important skill to learn in relationship health. Would you not agree? You know, that's such a great way that you explained that. Uh, I meet with couples every day, and we talk about this constantly, that once we become in a committed relationship, whether it's just a long-term relationship or it's a marriage, um, we really do have to be accountable to our partner for the way we behave. So there are certain ways that we are going to respect our relationship to make our partner feel safe. And I always say, you know, think about it as our Oh, I think I might have just lost her. Are you there, Dr. Crystal? Okay, well, I'm sure she's going to call back in, and when she does, we're going to make sure that we take her call. You know, one of the things that I was going to come to, um, having a good, healthy relationship with my husband, he may not have realized that he was doing that. And so it wasn't like he was grooming anybody. He just didn't know. And so, again, it's so important for him to be able to be honest with me and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I did that. And as a result, I don't want to make you feel that way. All right, Crystal, are you online? I am. I'm so sorry. I'm not sure what happened there. We got disconnected for a minute. Um, I need to yes, call right Carly. back in. Yes. Um, you're so right there, what you were saying, that in a healthy relationship, there's mutual respect. There's not argument and tit for tat when your partner brings something up that bothers them. That response that you just gave is just a great example of someone who's saying, look, I'm important and so are you, and we're going to see things differently. But when something does bother you, I want to respond in a way that is communicating you're important to me, and I'm very willing to change or adapt whatever I'm doing to make sure you know that you're important to me. And so with micro-cheating, you're exactly right. A lot of times the person who's engaging in the behavior, they don't even realize that it's wrong. 
Um, you know, when you're setting up your value system for a relationship, there are so many different things that um, impact what your belief system is. So, for example, there may be a wife who would absolutely never even consider having an extramarital affair with another man, but yet she doesn't see anything wrong with staying friends or maybe flirting a little bit with her ex-boyfriend on Facebook. She might think that's harmless. Well, her husband may feel very betrayed by that. So, again, sometimes we think we're doing harmless behavior, um, and that's referred to a lot of times as micro-cheating, where a lot of times it's not blatant, but then also sometimes it is. And there's some guidelines and some examples I'd love to give that kind of gets us to think about micro-cheating. These are many things that I've heard from couples uh, in treating them. And, and Carol, I'm sure that you've probably hear, heard a lot of the same uh, or similar um, issues. Uh, one yeah, person I'd like might to hear what your like, guidelines are. Yeah, what so some tell me stories? if you've heard some of these as well. You know, a couple will come in and one of them is keeping their activity or their conversations with someone that they work with a secret from their partner. So that might look like maybe you're sitting at home and, uh, you know, a text comes in or a phone call and your partner will grab their phone and walk into the other room to talk. And then when they come back and you say, hey, who was that? And they say, oh, you know, it was just Julie at work. Well, what, was she, what did she want? Oh, we were just talking about work stuff. Well, then why did you have to go out of the room to talk? You know, why couldn't I hear that conversation? You know, so sometimes of that, be very mindful if you're starting to do that. Uh, another common thing is somebody will have uh, someone that they work with or that they know. They'll put their name in their phone under a code or a different name. Right, so again, what we see is some type of secret behavior, some type of thing that you're being from your partner. Um, deleting text could be another indication of some micro-cheating. Again, they might not be having sex with someone, but maybe there's these conversations that they know are inappropriate, and they'll delete the text. A lot of social media, this is a very common very, very common um, part of micro-cheating. You're on social media and you're connecting with people, uh, having direct messages on Instagram, um, a lot of times using Snapchat. Um, there's a lot of apps that you can use that they're not saved, so your conversations aren't saved. So I would want to know what apps do, does my partner use? Who do they communicate with those apps? Um, Facebook is so from, uh, such a common, common place that I see micro-cheating because you're connecting with people in your history, people you haven't talked to for a long time, someone that you had a formal relationship with, very easy through Facebook and LinkedIn. LinkedIn is another social media outlet that a lot of inappropriate connections uh, can take place. Of course, we know LinkedIn is supposed to be for professional networking, but I have had a lot of people develop inappropriate relationships through LinkedIn communication. Yeah. Um, you know, think about, have you had that happen as well? You know, I absolutely have. And, and I know that for a lot of people that are coming into the office, they may not be here for partner betrayal, but 
you know, we have to find out, we have to get an assessment, and we have to find out how the relationship's going. And they will be at the beginning stages of questioning their own selves as to whether they're being too jealous or whether they're being too sensitive or whether their husbands or long-term boyfriends, exclusive relationships, whether they should be able to say, that makes me uncomfortable and I would prefer that you not do it. I mean, it's that gray area. There is no absolute right or wrong. So that's one of the things that you wrote about in your paper on micro-cheating. You, you said it is a gray area. What do you typically tell people that have not had any sexual addiction in their background they don't have any reason to believe that there are affairs going on, but they're uncomfortable with the behaviors that seem too friendly, too close, perhaps even too intimate um, with their partners. Well, I explain the difference between being friendly and being flirty. And there is a difference. Um, it also looks at your intention. You know, what is your intention? Are you just a very nice person or are you trying to get more attention and push the boundaries with what you say? For example, um, being friendly, you might say, you look very nice today. But if you're flirty, you might say, wow, you look really hot in that outfit, right? There's a difference with your, with your tone, with the way that you're expressing yourself. Um, you know, there's a difference if you're opening the door for another woman um, versus standing and engaging in a long personal conversation with her, right? So we're looking at, I always say as a rule of thumb, consider that any time you give yourself or your time, whether that's emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, or sexually, to someone outside your marriage, it can be considered a betrayal. And simply because you are taking your time, your attention, your affection, um, and you're giving it to somebody else outside of your spouse. And so that's kind of the rule of thumb to follow. It's a very gray area, and both people are going to have ideas about what's considered micro-cheating and what isn't. But if, if your partner says to you, you know, you mentioned a minute ago you were given a great example about objectifying other people. Objectifying other people is when, you know, your husband is looking at another woman, staring at her, might start to fantasize or be looking at her up and down her body. In other words, objectifying is when we look at somebody and we sexualize them instead of seeing them as a whole person. Um, and so understanding that any time you're giving of yourself to another person when you should be giving those parts to your spouse, they, they may really feel like they're being betrayed. And I have several, um, five different steps, and you mentioned the article on my website, but there's five steps that I talk about uh, when you're addressing micro-cheating. And like you said, if you discover your partner's doing something, right? It doesn't necessarily mean they're a sex addict or they've uh, had an affair. Um, you know, sometimes your partner may be lying to you. Um, 
you know, they may be engaging in what's called sexting, right? The sexting is if you're talking sexual or sharing naked pictures of each other, those types of behaviors. So you've never really met up with somebody in person, but you're definitely engaging inappropriately and sexually with them, either through video or texting, um, also spending a lot of time on adult websites or maybe visiting adult uh, places. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a sex addict, but it certainly could be a sign. Um, you know, you probably could say that people who engage in micro-cheating, uh, not all people that do um, actually end up having sexual affairs or have a sex addiction problem, but I would probably say in my experience, probably most people who have a sex addiction or do engage in an extramarital affair, they do engage in micro-cheating. And um, probably all of them, but I would say most for sure have engaged in it in some way. It's kind of this behavior, it's almost some of the behavior that takes place that has a lack of boundaries that could lead you to having a sexual affair or that could uh, play a part as a gateway into developing a sexual addiction. Um, and so I do think it should be taken serious. Um, but when you discover it, keeping that in mind that I'm not sure, it just like you were talking about, Carol, it just makes me feel uneasy. Um, maybe it makes me feel scared or anxious or it really hurts my feelings. Um, the first thing you have to do when you discover something that your partner's doing is just calm down. Calm down because when you find out something like that, you know, the whole uh, purpose that you were talking about earlier is helping partners who have been betrayed. And what we know is that when you're betrayed relationally, you're experiencing trauma. It's very traumatic to discover that somebody that you love and that you trust has engaged in something that uh, has betrayed you or hurt you. So it's normal to feel overwhelmed with shock and anxiety, but it's also very easy to jump to conclusions when you discover something um, that could be considered to be micro-cheating. So the first thing you want to do is just remember that you have to calm down first so your frontal lobe is working properly. That's all your logic and reasoning. If you don't be able to calm down, what will happen is you'll be very compulsive and you'll engage in, you know, maybe yelling or screaming or catastrophizing um, or, um, you know, I, for example, yesterday I met with a new couple and she was going through her husband's phone and she discovered a text message he made with a divorce attorney. And um, she immediately jumped to the conclusion that he was having an affair and he was going to divorce her. So instead of her calming down, she immediately went and got her 18 and 16-year-old daughters and was telling them about their dad that he's going to divorce me, our family's going to be breaking up. You know, when we're in that state of being overwhelmed, we're not thinking clearly because we're in shock. And so the first thing to remember is when I feel shocked or overwhelmed, I need to take care of myself first. Let me calm down. Let me take a deep breath. Pay attention to your senses. That'll help you to calm down. And then remember that um, what you discover, you want to get more information, and your partner might not even think they're doing anything wrong. So you want to ask questions. You want to calm down, think about it, 
get your mind together, and then go and talk to your partner and ask some questions to get clarification as to what's happening. Yeah, that is a good point. That makes total sense. Um, now, let me ask you, it sounds like you're also saying that communication is a precursor to figuring out what to do next. Well, you're so right. I think that it's the most important thing in a relationship is communication. And once you discover something, and even before you discover it, I make this a part of premarital counseling. So um, if you're thinking about or you're in a new relationship and you're thinking about progressing and you're going to get premarital counseling, you know, I think this is such an important aspect to be part of premarital counseling. And that is really talking openly with each other about what is infidelity? What do you think it means to cheat? What do you think it means to be faithful? You may be very surprised that you see that differently. Um, One of you may think that it's only sexual acting out that would be a betrayal, and it's no big deal to you if your husband flirts. you might, so you really need to talk about it. How do we see it? What are our expectations, right? How do I expect you to behave? What's going to be our openness? You know, I have a lot of couples that do not have the passcode for their spouse's phone, right? I tend to believe in open communication. I think um, you should be able to look at your partner's phone. You should have access to email accounts. Now, of course, in some incidences with certain businesses, there's confidentiality laws. And so the business uh, phone or email or data may not be able to be accessible. But with most people, um, you know, you want to talk about that. What, are, what do we expect from each other? Because the truth is, Your value system related to relationships is developed from several factors. Um, It includes, you know, looking at what your parents' relationship looked like, what was the example set before you, Uh, cultural beliefs, spiritual beliefs really guide a lot of what people think about with fidelity. Um, Then influence from your friends. Right. If you're single and you're hanging out with a group of people that flirt or go to strip clubs or don't see anything wrong with that as long as they don't cross the boundary, they might you might get a lot of influence from that. Um, so there's a lot of things that contribute to, um, you know, what you think it means to be faithful, what cheating really is, because a common issue that couples have is. They'll come in and one person will be telling me, you know, she did this, this, and this, and, you know, she's had an affair. And she'll say, I didn't have an affair. I didn't have sex with anybody. I never met up with them in person. But maybe she was talking to them for hours and hours on the phone. So that's what we would refer to as an emotional affair, right? Maybe there wasn't this sexual connection. But you're, uh, in this case, the husband really felt betrayed, like she had gone outside the marriage. So you have to really talk about that, Carol. You have to define, hey, what do you believe it means to be faithful? Here's what I think cheating is. Well, and again, you, you pointed out earlier that if, if you're participating in behavior with other people that really takes away from the time you could be spending with your own partner, and in addition to that, it makes your partner feel uncomfortable, 
then you've got a problem and you need to renegotiate and compromise. And and so there are times even in healthy relationships, it may feel like this is not a big deal to me at all that I do this. I enjoy having female friends or I enjoy having male friends. This isn't going to go anywhere. We're not grooming each other. We're not even flirting. We're just enjoying each other. But if it is a boundary violation for the person that you love, it needs to be addressed and there needs to be some sort of agreement and and working towards making the other person feel comfortable. You're exactly right. I think that is the rule of thumb to follow. And, you know, if your partner comes to you and says, I'm very uncomfortable with you having lunch with Julie, let's say at work, um, you know, you really can't dismiss that. Even if it is innocent, like you said, um, there's a great book that I recommend all couples read. It's called Boundaries in Marriage by Henry Cloud. And this is a great book that gets couples to take a look at what boundaries do we need to establish, excuse me, to protect our marriage? In other words, there's a lot of things that we do that might not necessarily be wrong, but are they things that protect our marriage? There are things that can threaten your marriage. Um, I have a couple that I've seen, excuse me, that I'm working with, and um, she ended up having an affair with their best friend. They've been best friends for 10 years. But what happened is she was meeting up with him at some of the water parks here and taking the children. Very innocent. They've been friends for a long time, meeting up with the kids. They both happened to have the afternoons off. All partners were in agreement. But what ended up is these innocent afternoons, the kids are over there swimming, and they start talking. And they get too friendly, and they're talking about emotions and opening up, and one thing leads to another. And so not every time will you cross boundaries, but the purpose of the boundaries in marriage is let's sit down and really talk about what are some ways that we can protect our marriage so that we both feel safe, um, so that we're strengthening our marriage, so that we, you know, everybody who's married wants to feel like they have confidence in the trust and the safety within their marriage. They want to feel confident that I know I'm your person. You know, I know that I'm valuable to, to you. I know that I'm the one you want to be with. It's even as little things as, you know, when something really great happens, um, have, has, maybe this has happened to some people listening. You know, something really great happens. Who's the first person that you want to call? Right? If your husband has something really great happen, don't you want to be the to share it with? So it could even be that simple. Maybe he just doesn't share a lot of great things happening with you. You could feel very hurt. So you're right, Carol. It's really listening to what your partner has to say because you might feel differently and then being able to compromise and work together as a couple to establish those boundaries. Although sometimes um, you will address it. And like you said, in a healthy relationship, you gave a great example. In a healthy relationship, the partner will hear that even if they disagree with it. They'll talk about it. They'll come up with something. They'll work as a team member and really work together so that the person that they love feels safe. However, a lot of times you will catch your partner engaging in micro-cheating and maybe they get defensive or they lie about it, 
Or maybe you caught them and they said, I'm so sorry, I'll never do that again. And then you catch them again engaging in it. So if that's happening, that's when I really believe that you need to seek professional help. Um, Get an APSAP coach or counselor. um, Get a marriage therapist. Somebody who's going to specialize uh, in betrayals. Uh, within relationships, because if you do see that repeated pattern where your partner just can't seem to stop, even though it's not full-blown sexual behavior, um, there really could be signs there that there is a love or sex addiction going on. So I think that's when professional help is really important. That's where you'll learn how to communicate in a healthy way, address those behaviors in a healthy way, um, maybe look at what other things are going on in the marriage where maybe some needs aren't being met and so you can work on the marriage relationship itself but a lot of times you'll need a professional person um, to help with that if you don't have a partner like you explained Carol who's really just open to listening and working on it with you well and you know I was just getting ready to say because it is such a gray area and you can have differences of opinion and And, you know, let's say somebody isn't grooming or cheating, but it still makes the other person feel uncomfortable. Sometimes when you bring up that kind of um, feeling, it can put your partner, male, female, whoever, on the defensive. And, And if you can't seem to negotiate and compromise with that, that is time to maybe get with a professional who can help the coupleship figure out how to do that. You know, Dr. Crystal, you and I both know that negotiation and compromise is essential in a relationship. There are times I am going to do something for my husband, not because I believe I need to, but because it's important to him and vice versa. Oh, you're exactly right. Yeah, wouldn't you agree that if if a couple is having trouble negotiating and compromising, whether there's been a betrayal or whether there's not been a betrayal, seeking somebody who's good in couples' work is is essential to sustaining or maintaining a healthy relationship. Yes. You know, as I said earlier, I totally agree with you that communication really is the foundation of relationship. And, you know, what I tell couples is this, try to think about communication in this way. Am I communicating, and that could be verbally or with behaviors or with nonverbal communication, am I communicating in a way that draws you closer to me or pushes you further away? We don't want to get caught up in right or wrong. We want to get caught up in making it right, not being right. So if your partner comes to you and they say, this makes me feel uncomfortable or I feel this is a threat to our marriage, you don't have to agree with it. But because you love them, I really recommend if you can say yes and change something, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Because there's going to be a time in your marriage that you're going to have the same desire right? You're going to feel betrayed or uncomfortable and you're going to want something from your spouse and you're going to want them to respond in that way as well. So so I totally agree with you. I ask both partners to think about it from that perspective. Why wouldn't I say yes to you if it draws us closer together? Well, exactly. And I love that analogy of does it draw you closer together or further apart? Because 
so many of our partners and the addicts that listen to this show know that one of the questions I ask whenever it comes to, is that behavior appropriate or healthy? I say, well, does it move you closer to recovery or does it move you further away? You know, if a man's going to look at a bathing suit picture, an image on a computer, he may say, well, I'm not looking at porn, but does that move you closer to recovery? Absolutely not. So I love the fact that your standard question would be, is that moving you closer together as a couple or is that moving you further away? If it moves you further away, it's indicative that something needs to be, again, negotiated or compromised. And coupleships are hard. You and I both know that it is probably out of all the types of therapy, group therapy, family therapy, individual therapy, sex therapy, working with a couple is the toughest because you've got two people that are more than likely going to have different values, different opinions, and just differences in general. Well, you're exactly right, and I know myself, I've been married 30 years, and I can tell you, I say this to every couple, I believe that communication is one of those things that you have to work on with your partner until the day you die. It's something you have to continue to give effort toward. It's something you have to continue to listen because you're both growing and changing. You're going to be addressing issues together. Um, You're both two individuals as well. And so I think you just have to keep working at communication. And if you can get that down, the foundation that I'm going to take responsibility to providing a safe place for my partner and I to be able to talk about anything, even if we disagree or we see it differently. But I'm going to provide that safety and I'm going to consciously work at communication. I think when these areas of micro-cheating appear, you're going to be able to feel safe enough to go to your partner and say, it really makes me uncomfortable that you're doing this. Make sure when you do go to them, if you discover this, that you don't attack them. Try not to call names. It's very easy to become angry or accusatory. But you really want to, that's why it's important to calm down and then just go to them and say, hey, I saw this text or I noticed you've had lunch again alone with so-and-so, you know, I'd really like to talk about that because it makes me feel uncomfortable or it makes me feel whatever that might be. Um, And then start engaging in the conversation. Um, So I agree with you. Communication is the best tool. And I think the tool that you have to use until the day you die, you've got to keep sharpening it and working at it and just being open to it. Well, and I want to remind our listeners that I'm talking with Dr. Crystal Hollenbeck, and if you want to get that article that she wrote on micro-cheating, you need to go to her website, www.crystalhollenbeck, and that's H-O-L-L-E-N-B-E-C-K, or H, let's see, K, dot com, and where would they find that exactly on your website? Well, it's right there on the first page. So on my website, there's several things right on the home page. And one of them is it'll display um, articles uh, that I write, and it'll uh, bring them through. So it's right there on the first page. You can just click on it. You can also click on the tab uh, about articles and go there and find other things that may be helpful to you as a couple as well. Um, And thank you so much 
uh, Carol, for us talking about this important subject. I think it's so important for couples to talk about this, be aware of it, and establish boundaries. So I appreciate you taking time to do this today. It's been such a pleasure. Well, absolutely. And I got to tell you, uh, Dr. Crystal offers three-day intensives for partners who really need to be able to figure out where they stand in relationship to the sexual betrayal that's occurred in their life. Um, She offers individual and couples counseling in Orlando and Tampa, Florida, and she also offers couples intensives to help navigate through the intensity that is typically experienced whenever you're having any kind of relationship problems. So, uh, you know, I just referred a woman who just has been working with me diligently, and she doesn't seem to be making any traction. It's like her normal day takes her away from the focus that she needs to give to herself. And I said to myself, she needs one of Dr. Crystal's intensives to really spend a concentrated amount of time on figuring out how she feels, what her boundaries are, and what she needs. So can you just share before we end a little bit about those services that you provide? Yes, and I so agree with you. Sometimes when you're traumatized and you're overwhelmed, you can come into therapy, even if you're doing therapy multiple times a week, but they're usually 50-minute sessions or 45-minute sessions, and then you're going right back to the busyness of your life. The three-day trauma intensive and the three-day couples intensive, it really takes you out of your life. I really get you to take three days. You're not watching TV. You're not communicating with friends and loved ones. You're not doing any work. You're not online. You're just focused on your own healing. And it's just a wonderful time because it's three days. Uh, We go all day long, and then you have intense homework in the evening. And so much healing takes place during those three days. Think about that, how many sessions you would need to get complete attention on yourself for three days. And, you know, a lot of people don't think they have time to do that or they don't think it's important. But what happens from my experience is you come to the three days and you get so much from it. You go back to your everyday life. And not that you don't have continued healing to do and continued work to do, but you're doing it from a place of healing instead of a place of woundedness. So when you're wounded and you're or you're in a high-conflict marriage, or your marriage is in a really bad place, um, or you are experiencing betrayal trauma, it's very hard to function. Um, I always say, here's the difference. You are functioning from a place of woundedness. The three-day intensive helps you to move from a place of woundedness to living every day from a place of healing. And that's why I think they're so... Um, impactful, they're very successful, and clients really seem to make more progress. Well, and I find that my clients that I have sent to you, um, they feel much more grounded about what they believe, and so they're better able to come home and set up some safety boundaries or claim their own time for self-care or assert themselves without being overly aggressive or overly passive. So it's like they really get 
a structured sense of self to be able to apply those principles at home. And, you know, when, when you apply some principles consistently, people get it. Families understand and they start respecting it. It's, it's when we waver back and forth and assert ourselves and then next time we get passive and, you know, have a boundary, but then we let somebody walk over it, that it goes back to the old way. And so your intensives are excellent for that. Before we end, share a little bit about your couples' intensives. Well, I do a couple, uh, several couples' intensives. One is that I am trained under Dr. Magnus with the Hope and Freedom. Um, I'm a Hope and Freedom practitioner. It is his program that he has certified me uh, with. And so what we do in those intensives is when – uh, I have a couple who's addressing sex addiction. It could be at the very beginning. It could be you might be in recovery for a year and come to take the intensive. And what we do is during that intensive, we do a full disclosure. We do the impact statement. Uh, we do an exam after the disclosure, a lie detector test. I set um, the person who's struggling with the addiction, we set him up for a very strong recovery program. And we also talk to the partner about um, where they are with their trauma treatment. Sometimes during the intensive, I will even do some EMDR uh, therapy with the partner. But it's a good, solid place to really begin a strong recovery program. And what I've seen happen is a lot of couples will go to therapists, but because they're not trained well, they're struggling for a long time without good direction. And then I have a second couples intensive. This intensive has nothing to do with sex addiction. This intensive is for couples who, um, for whatever the issues are, uh, it could be ongoing, high conflict. Um, There might be just an affair recovery issue where it's not sex addiction, but there's still been betrayal that's been very traumatizing to the relationship. Um, There could be a lot of reasons. I have had couples come to me and say, we just want to really learn how to have a great marriage. Um, We just have all these areas that we feel like we're struggling in, and we just never had direction. So I customize the couples intensive to the individual that's coming. In both uh, both intensives, you go away with a workbook full of tools and skills to use. I follow up with you afterwards, so we check in. Um, I also recommend that if you do not live here locally, that you do get with a therapist to do some follow-up work. And then I also have couples that will come back and see me after the intensive just for like a day at a time every six months or so to check in, um, to stay on track or to maybe address some different areas. But thank you for talking about the intensives, Carol. I found them to be very, very helpful. About your website. And, again, that's www. Um, Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L. Yes, it's And then they can call you at 407-408-6521? Yes. Excellent. Thank you so much for talking about micro-cheating because, again, it's something that a lot of clients come into the office, whether they have sex addiction in their background or not, and they just wonder if, if they have the right to be concerned. And so what I heard you clearly saying is, Absolutely, you have the right to be concerned. Now, figure out a way to, in a non-aggressive, 
Find a non-aggressive opportunity to share your feelings with your partner and then see if you can't negotiate healthier behaviors. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. Just remember that it, um, if it feels like cheating to you, it, it's important that you address it. Don't let it go. Pay attention to your intuition. Um, pay attention to what's bothering you, and then go to your partner and have a conversation. All right, Dr. Crystal, thanks again. And keep us posted on what you're doing, and look forward to having you on the show again real soon. Thank you, Carol. It's always so nice to talk with you. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Okay, so bye-bye. Again, bye-bye. That is one of those situations that is so important to have a sense of what to do and, and how to navigate it and how to go about figuring out where you stand on the subject. So I hope you learned a little bit about micro-cheating today. And that's what this show's all about. It's about psychoeducation. So thanks for joining us. You heard Dr. Crystal say you need somebody who's partner-sensitive, who works with couples, and a great place to go is appsats.org. That's A-P-S-A-T-S dot org. I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and we'll see you next week for more Betrayal Trauma Radio Recovery. For more information, go to appsats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.